Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam. Asher bachar bin vi'im tovim, veratza v'divrehim ha'ne'emarim be'emet. Baruch atah Adonai, haboker b'torah uv'moshe avdo, uv'yisrael amo, uv'in v'yeh ha'emet v'zedek b'zkut Mashiach Yeshua. Amen v'amen. Amen. Shalom, everyone. Welcome to the Haftarah Teruma podcast with Shomerman and Hasiz Buzz. Hope you're doing well. Just want to say Rosh Hodesh Tov to everybody because uh, it is about that time for us to have a double portion of Adar. So, Rosh Hodesh Tov to you, Hasiz. Hope you are doing well. And I'm going to hand it over to you now. So, take it away. All right, shalom. Yes, happy. Hope everyone's having a great uh, Rosh Chodesh. You know, it's amazing. You mentioned double portion. You know, we had a double portion Rosh Chodesh too. Ooh, nice. <laughs> and entering into a dar, the month of miracles. You know, yes. get a, a double portion of that too. We got a, a we're on a leap year, so a dar a dar two is is the month after a dar one in this case. Right. <laughs> So, yeah, very fitting. So, we don't get an extra day on the Hebrew calendar. We get an extra month. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Yes. That's increase. <laughs> right? All right. So, uh, we're in Parashat Teruma this week, doing a whole lot of temple building. And uh, the Torah portion is talking about temple building. And so is the Haftarah. And it's just kind of like, surprise, what a coincidence, right? I think okay. not. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's not a Hebrew word for that, you know, but you oh. definitely see like, oh, I definitely know what portion we're in. You know, mm. you think about Antiochus' reign and, and you know, the sages instrumenting this half tour for that, you know. Man. The, the people listening like, oh, I know, we're definitely in uh, Taruma. <laughs> right. So, it's pretty interesting. So we got a, a couple characters here. I figured we just talk about um, the king of Tyre at this time and Shlomo. Just a little interesting facts about them. We get us started. Are you going to talk about the other character that's the second word of this week's Haftarah portion? Uh, if you'd like me to look something up, I can. Or you could uh, mention something. Well, if you could, uh, it's uh, the second word of the Haftarah portion. Is Noon Tav Noon. His name is Natan. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, from what I hear about Natan, this comes directly from Tractate Lapide, get you some, section eight of Daf B. And it says that this gentleman is distinguished and he is a believer in the Messiah. And he loves to source out all of his insights. And he is in the lineage of those who have been born again from above. And he seeks to walk in righteousness and truth. So uh, that's just a little bit about Natan. And uh, he's amazing. And all of the Avengers and myself included, we love this guy. And so I just figured we shout him out on the Hop Tour podcast. Man, so 
but besides, besides these other characters keep popping up. And people, I'm asking people's identities, not right, right. <laughs> we have uh, we have Hiram and Shlomo, mm. and so Hiram is this this king of Tyre at this time, and says he's also known as Hira from Bashit Rabbah 85.8 is one of his names. Said HaKadosh Baruch Hu to Hiram, the king of Tyre, I had you in mind. Well, no, let's skip, let's skip that. Let's skip that. Oh, okay. Okay. But Hira is Hiram. I want to stop at that point and go back to Hira because he was, he was um, in David's time. Hmm. So... Hira is the Hiram of David's time, as is written, for Hiram was always a friend of David, 1 Kings 5.15. That is, Hiram was used to being a friend of this tribe. According to this, he lived close to about uh, 1,200 years from Rashid Rabbi 85.4. Wow. Well, all right then. That's way longer than Methuselah. Yes, a long time. So, so he's the oldest man in the Bible then. <laughs> Possibly, possibly. I think so. I haven't, I haven't read someone who, who lived longer than that, according to sources, uh, just yet. But it could be. Hmm. Well, I guess the second runner-up would probably be Og. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, definitely had a huge line, lifespan, and that like influenced his men- mentality and his arrogance. You know, he said when when greatness was given to to this king, he he proclaimed, "I am a god. I sit in the seat of God." Ooh. That's quoting Ezekiel 28.2. That ain't good. <laughs> and so it's definitely not good. It's also definitely not good, uh, the punishment he invoked because of that. We mentioned it um, one of the last half tours, I believe. And, you know, so found out more details about that, but that's super, super R-rated. I won't get into all that. Spare all the, the gruesome details. Right, right. Yeah, even a little bit we did share about him the last time. It was just kind of like, whoa, snap. <laughs> you see, you want to stray as far away from arrogance as possible, you know. So and arrogance. That's, that's, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying that's definitely a lesson that he, he shows us through his actions. Right. And, th- and just thinking that arrogance becomes quickly synonymous with gross and disgusting and very disturbing. Yes, so much so that Hashem cannot dwell with, with one who is arrogant and mm. prideful. So maybe we stay as far away from that trait as possible. Can you heat out some? Man. All right. So, King, to, uh, what's that? I was just saying that's King or King Hiram. Yes, King Hiram, the the king of Tyre, who who was instrumental in helping helping Shlomo uh, build this temple. Wow! And our half Torah. <clears throat> and then we get into Shlomo. You just gonna mention there's a lot about a lot about him, of course, but just mentioned a few things in regards to the temple they built. Right. And this is from uh, Menachot 53b. It says, "Let a beloved, the descendant of a beloved, talking about King Shlomo." son of uh, Abraham, uh, come and build a beloved edifice, the temple, for a beloved one, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in the territory of a beloved one, Benjamin, in which beloved ones, the people of Israel, will be atoned for. 
Wow. And so it's just mentioned this this pattern of beloved ones. <laughs> wow. So would that be why Yokanon has like one of the most incredible packed insights as far as the Basora accounts? Because he was considered the beloved of Mashiach. Yes, and and he he built built a lot of the works on the the deeper, almost kabbalistic insights, if you will, of Mashiach's um, mission, if it were, wow. as it were. So that's true, man. The, the the beloved disciple. Maybe that's one of the the hints in there. Mm. And we talked about uh, Pharaoh Nicho before, so I'll go ahead and mention this. He was actually around back in Shlomo's time. So Shlomo sent to Pharaoh Nicho, send me craftsmen for a wish to build the temple. Pharaoh Nicho gathered his astrologers and told them, divine men, or divine which men are destined to die this year, and I will send them to him so that he could later accuse Shlomo of killing them. Hmm. When they came to Shlomo, he foresaw that they were destined to die that year. He gave them shrouds and sent them back with a letter saying, did you not have the shrouds in which to bury your dead? Here they are with shrouds. Bonibar Rabbah 19.3. So we mentioned this, this Pharaoh Necho, he, in the past half to our portions, you know, like Jeremiah and Yechezkel's day, like it mentions this Pharaoh coming to their aid and then not following through with his promise. Right. You know, apparently he was, he's had a, a history Unless it is a, a different Pharaoh uh, Nicho, but apparently he's had a history um, of deception. Well, trying to set Mo up. <laughs> that that wouldn't be surprising, since you know uh, Egypt has not really ever been completely truthful with the people of Israel. Yeah, that 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 pattern's pretty much set. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now maybe that's why we're, you know, not supposed to go back there. Wow. Man. So back into the pattern of deception. That's right. When Shlomo built the temple, he planted it in various fruit trees of gold. He planted in it various fruit trees of gold. They bore fruit in season, and when the wind blew, the fruit would fall. The fruits themselves were made of gold and were used to support the priests. Yoma 21b. Which, so, what was that, 21B? Yoma 21B. Yoma. I'm so glad you shared that specific insight. Because since I heard that insight, that has been one of my most favorite things about the temple. Is the golden fruit. Man. Man. You know, it's amazing because um, I remember talking to a friend of mine a long, long time ago. And... You know, he was he was just seeing the discrepancies between Revelation. And it's all paved with gold. It's all these precious gems, and you know, you have the Garden of Eden, and it's just it seems like it's you know, cursory reading the text, it's all just nature, mm-hmm. you know. And so he was using this kind of idea that hey, this Revelation it might not be legitimate, you know, this this and this because look how contrary it is. But here we see these fruits of gold, these trees and stuff, and then they have this this golden fruit on them, you know. So we see the com- combination of the two, and then it's mentioned, you know, Moshe had the tree of life, you know, from from the Garden of Eden as his staff, but it was made of sapphire, mm. and so you just see like the the beautiful merger of these two two ideas, just like nothing we've we've ever seen or experienced before. These precious gems and precious metals that 
are like this outer casing or whatever where of, of nature and fruits and and the natural world. Wow. Almost like peace in its heights or something. Right. Like a Osei Shalom Beam Romav. Yeah. You got <laughs> inorganic rocks and gems with this organic live plant life. It was pretty pretty interesting to see that. Not just with the fire and ice, you know, like we saw in uh, the plagues. Right. The, of the hell, hell, but it's also in uh, maybe the plant life and inorganic life, you know, like rocks and stuff. And this is why Mashiach Yeshua said, if I tell the people to be silent, then the rocks will cry out. Oh. Because I am the Shekinah of Hashem, which brings life even to the inanimate objects, just like I did when you were building the Mishkan. Oh man, I could, I could make a peace, peace in the heights, like I can make peace upon you. <laughs> oh! <laughs> oh, say shalom the Mavav. <laughs> wow, that is wow. You said it, man. You started that. <laughs> <laughs> when we got uh, from Shochetov, when Shlomo built the temple, he asked that fire descend from heaven, but it did not descend. He offered eight prayers, but it did not descend. As soon as he said, remember the good deeds of David, your servant, and immediately descended. So, you know, he prayed in the merit of David, and it was answered. <laughs> so, you know, intermediary much, maybe? <laughs> just a little bit. And and do you, by chance, have the source about the, the gates opening up, the ancient doors? Uh, to let the king of glory come in in reference to David because Shlomo didn't make the the door wide enough for the Aron to be brought into the temple? Well, it's it's all in reference um, to like Telim 24-7. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have that particular source on tab, but that's that's something that I wanted to like touch on. So if you want to, you know, in the oh, background. Okay, look okay. okay. I, I hear you. I hear you. So, um, Anyway, I just, the reason I brought that up is because now I'm seeing more things that are done in the merit of David, and uh, I think it's interesting that that's one of the insights that you bring up. And so the the need for an uh, intercessor and a mediary and being able to pray in the name of, you know, a Zodic, uh, that is, you're showing that that's a very Jewish thing. So that's beautiful. Man. So we are, like I said, the half tour of Truma. We're coming from uh, First Kings, First Melchim, Alf Melchim, five twenty-six and six thirteen, and it's all about, like you said, the construction of the Beit Hamikdash. And you know, it's just interesting because in the past we've been reading about times when Israel was in a very dark place and it's in a deteriorating place. And this is Israel, land of Judea, in its its heights, in its prime. Before the separation, under the reign of Shlomo, when everything is amazing, nations are coming in and just participating in the building of the Beit HaMikdash. So, powerful, powerful ideas, powerful, like this powerful reign, and you could definitely see the wisdom of Shlomo taking place. Wow. And a little bit of his name, sake being fulfilled. Shlomo, right. you know, peace. Because you basically have the king of Israel, which is synonymous with Mashiach, 
And it is literally Mashiach ben David, who is the king at this point. And he is in a time of peace, like literal world peace. So it's definitely like a precursor and a picture of the Alam Haba. It's, it's so like, exactly. Everything you said, exactly. And it's just so funny because we talk about Ben David and this is the one who literally was Ben David. <laughs> you know, and so his name Shlomo, it's like off translated, you know, peace. Right. And so literally have not just a king, because if you look at his father, compared to his father, he's a prince. Mm. And so literally you have the prince of peace. Oh, come on, man. So Ben David, if you're the son of David, then you are the prince of peace. You are the Sar Shalom. <laughs> anyway, I, I want to bring up this point about Shlomo uh, building the temple. It says, it is said of King Shlomo that he was more diligent with Hashem's work than his own. He concentrated all his energies into building the Behemekdash and managed to complete it in seven years. On the other hand, when it came to building his own palace, he was in no hurry and constructed on Dragon for about 13 years. And so I just want to bring that up sort of to put uh, a little bit of reverence and respect back for Shlomo because, you know, I know in, in other circles, um, the Christian world, it's it's often talked about that he spent more time on his own house than the house of God, and he's there, they condemn him for it. Ooh. But just because you spend more time on something doesn't mean you put more effort and more value in it. It could just mean you're, you're procrastinating. You're dragging it on. Ooh. Or the opposite of it, you could just mean you're you're putting all your energies into the other the other house, if you will, in this example, and you're building it with alacrity. And so this is what Shlomo was doing. It wasn't it wasn't that he spent so much more on his palace. It's that he he built the temple with alacrity, the sense of I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna do it now and I'm gonna put everything in it. Well. Wow. <laughs> and we get into the king of uh Sora, I don't want to mention that too much because we have talked about the idea of him building this elaborate throne and him being um, the fate with Nebuchadnezzar. Right. Yeah, it's and kind it of a on. sore subject. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Just the the amazing says says uh, he lays a, he raised a levy like a tax from all Israel. The levy was about three thousand men to help Karim's worker prepare the wood for the Beit Hamikdash. He goes on talking about all these all these people who he, he hired out to help to build this. And it mentions that these stonecutters were not native Jews, but Garim, who had converted, um, who had not converted for the sake of heaven, but rather because they over over uh, were overawed by Shlomo's and even David's greatness. Mm. And so they ended up converting not not for the right reasons. Um, converting because they want to be part of the glory. Wow. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because you know you have Shlomo and the Harem's builders, as well as the Gavin, the non-Jews of the nation of Gevel, who were skilled artisans, hewed them the mountains, they prepared the timber and the stones to build the house. This is in verse uh, thirty-two. Mentioned that Harem was very proud that he contributed wood for the Beit Mikdash. And Hashem said, you have nothing to be proud of, for in one day I will destroy this house. Oh. So it, it's just instant, interesting perspective, you know, oh. of, of who this guy, he's so proud that he built this, he built this. And here Hashem says, no, I'm going to I'm gonna tear this down. You know, I'm going to tear this house down. 
but he will build it. He will build it up again. So connecting that to Mashiach saying, "Tear down this temple." Mm-hmm. Because says, I'll build it up. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, do it. Go ahead. I think you're saying it. Well, I was just saying because I'll, he'll he'll raise it up in three days. I think the number three is also an allusion to the third temple, which is going to be permanent. <laughs> and so he's like, you take pride in this, but you've literally contaminated this second temple with with your, your strain away from God. But I'm going to tear this down because you have nothing to be proud of, but I'm going to build it up in three days. Yes, hinting at his resurrection, but also hinting at possibly the third temple, which is going to be permanent and which will not be contaminated by them. Well, already then, that that was way better than what I was going to say. So I don't know. I think you probably would add a, a whole nother layer. Sure. <laughs> well, Torah Rabbah, because, I mean, I just couldn't help but think about, you know, tear down this temple as soon as you said that because there, there was a lot of pride. And, you know, King Hiram, and uh, there was a lot of pride about those who really um, just looked down upon Mashiach and really, uh, what is the word? They, they spited him so much, you know, and it was just kind of like, this is this is nothing. You know, you tear this down and I'll rebuild it. And I cannot help but think of a practical takeaway on that. I mean, I know this is not the time, but just uh, as we head into that uh, later, that we need to look at ourselves like that. Because when you talk about being lowly minded, being not arrogant, let people, you know, let our soul be like dust to everyone. Because guess what? Hashem will build it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. He'll, he'll raise, raise that again. He'll raise us up. Oh, McKimmy, McKimmy, may I far doll. He raises up the poor from the dust. Oh, come on. Oh. <laughs> okay. Man. Back to you. Back to you. Take it away. <laughs> well, we just go into, it goes into the the dimensions, the building of this, this uh, miftash, the bad miftash. And it mentions that it's, two twi- it's twice as long and it's three times as high. And it, it goes into this idea that uh, this little story of, of this couple who at first they loved each other, they were in peace, and then they became di- in discord. And it says, you know, when our love was strong, we did not need a bed wider than a blade of a sword, and we were happy. But since we've begun to quarrel, even a bed 60 almost wide is not spacious enough for us. Yikes. And so Rev uh, Huna, he confirmed that this is what is said about the Jewish nation. In the wilderness, the Shekinah rests on the cover of the Aron, that was merely one and a half, almost wide, between the Caribbean that were ten tefakim high. But in Shlomo's time, when when Bnei Israel were no longer as close to Hashem as in the wilderness, the Shekhanah filled the entire house that was sixty almost long and twenty almost wide. Mm. And so it's the idea when Bnei Israel sinned, you know, this wasn't this was no longer sufficient. Hashem said, "My Shekhanah fills the earth. How can you limit it to a house?" Man. Well, there is that. <laughs> and it goes into this idea and verse 6, verse 3, it talks about, there's these, the commentary talks about these three sections in the Mishkan and in the Beha Mikdash. The Mishkan, you have the Kodesh Kodeshim, you have uh, the Kodesh section, the holy section. This is where the Shokan, the t- Menorah, the Cambrim w- was at. 
And then you have the yard, which contained the copper offer for animal sacrifices. And this is very similar to the layout of the Beit HaMikdash. You had what was called the Devir, which corresponds to the Holy of Holies. And it's interesting because the name Devir, it's spelled Dalit Vav Yud Resh. And it's similar to, it's actually from the word Devar to speak. Hmm. Uh, it's a section which Hashem used to speak to Moshe. And so here you have a, a parallel again with the word being synonymous with the Torah, where the Ark was housed, being uh, also parallel to Hashem, because he's the one, it's his word coming out. Get you some. And then you have the Hachal, which corresponds to the Kodesh section. And Shlomo, he had like these 10, uh, 10 menorahs, 10 tables. Of course, this is besides the original ones. And then you had the third section, which is the Olam, the Hall, which is corresponding to the yard. Mm. And it kind of goes into talking about how it's made. We mentioned this before, how the the windows from the, the house, he made windows wide within and narrow without. And so the idea that light should go forth from this temple. Wow. <laughs> Let the light out. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your deeds. Yes. Wow. We go into verse 7. It says, The house was built of stone and had been prepared at the quarry before being transported to Beit Hamikdash. Neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron was heard in the house while it was being built. And goes this question Why didn't Shlomo use tools to cut the stone at the side of Beit Hamikdash? Because hmm. the Torah forbids the use of iron implements and hewing the stones to the copper altar. This law serves to remind the Jews that the Mizbeach is a source of shalom and blessing to the world. Love. So working on with a tool that can also be used for destructive purposes would interfere with the concept, the very concept of peace. Oh. <laughs> Man. So we get into this uh, very interesting story about how Shlomo came to this conclusion. Well, you know what time it is. Story time. Come on. King Shlomo asked the sages, how can I cut stones for the Beheb Mikdash without iron tools? Side note, King Shlomo, the wisest man in the world, is asking who for advice? <laughs> Chazal, the sages. So should we not do the same thing and, and read the oral Torah? Sorry, just throwing that out there. Oh, man, I didn't even have my visor down for that one. Shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, intermission concluded. Man. Don't make the film. They said, There is a Shamir worm that has the power to split rocks. They advised him. This creature was also used by Moshe to cut the stones for the ephod and the choshen, the shoulder straps and breastplates of the priestly garments. Where can I attain this Shamir? The king queried. The sages replied, You have mastery over the Shadim, the demons, since they were created before the onset of Shabbos and the six days of creation. Together with the, the Shamir, you can find out from them where it may be found. King Shlomo summoned a male shade and a demon Shada to appear before him. However, they were unable to supply him with the necessary information. Instead, they recommended that he inquire of uh, Ashmadai, the king of the Shadim. How am I supposed to find him? Shlomo asked them. In response, they revealed to the king Ashmadai's dwelling place a certain mountain. Thereupon, King Shlomo commissioned his resourceful counselor, 
Benyahu ben Yehoda to catch Ashmada. Benyahu's equipment consisted of a chain and a ring, both of which were engraved with Hashem's great name, as well as balls of wool and wine flasks. Benyahu found Ashmadai's water pit, and the shade's absence dug holes in it to drain the water. When he replaced the water with wine, stuffing the opening with the balls of wool, upon his return, Ashmadai was surprised to find wine in his pit. At first, he refrained from drinking it. However, he was soon overcome by extreme thirst, and when he quenched with a generous amount of fine wine, soon he was fast asleep in a drunken stupor. Benyahu seized this opportunity to come out of his hiding place. He quickly took the chain with the Almighty's name and fastened around Ashmadai's neck. When Ashmadai awoke, he tried in vain to extricate himself from it. King Shlomo let Ashmadai wait three days in Jerusalem before finally granting him an audience. Ashmadai took a yardstick, measured it four almost with it, and threw it down before the king. This will be the size of your grave, he reproved him. And yet you stop at nothing short of conquering the entire world. And why do you have to capture me too? I have an important reason for my action, the king defended himself. I have a behemekdash to build and require the Shamir for this task. Since when I am charged of Shamir, Ashmadai retorted. I was given, it was given to the angel of the sea, who entrusted it to the Borhin. She needs it for her livelihood. She used it to split rocks and barren land, after which she sows seeds in the clefts and nourishes herself from the plants that eventually grow there. Shlomo ordered a search for the Borhin's nest, which was discovered to be located in the mountains. In the hen's absence, a glass stone was thrown over the nest, so that upon returning, the hen saw her fledglings, but could not reach them. She promptly flew away and returned with the shamir, so it might cut the glass. Shlomo's messenger gave a sharp yell, at which the boar hen dropped the shamir and flew off in fear. This is how Shlomo came with possession of the rare creature, which he used in the building of the Beha Mikdash. The shamir was especially created for the Almighty for the purpose of assisting in the building of the Mishkan and Beha Mikdash. It disappeared at the destruction of the Beha Mikdash. Mm. The end. Wow. <laughs> Little, uh, basically, uh, what do they call that? The bait and switch there? Yes. <laughs> the sort of little glass over there to, to give the bird and center to bring the Shamir wherever they captured it. Good night. And so, of course, there's, there's another opinion um, that he sent like an eagle to Ganadin to obtain the Shamir word. So, but the first story, the first story is uh, extravagant, yeah. Oh my gosh! <laughs> How you just so, gonna yeah. send an eagle to Gunny Den? Just like, yeah, you, you know where it is. Go. <laughs> yeah, just, just go. I need that worm. <laughs> and, and hurry up, cause time is money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, it mentions just this idea, the concept that all of creation actually came together to help build the Mishkan, the Mikdash, I should say. They have Mikdash. And it's just interesting because it says even the stones transformed themselves, as a word, and formed a wall over their own accord. Are you serious? Yes. Living stones built up into a temple? Mm-hmm. That's okay. where the idea comes from, man. Okay. <laughs> That's a beautiful connection. That's Kefa's source, huh? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Glad so we found nine. that one. <laughs> 
Thus he built the walls of the house and finished them and covered its ceilings with bricks and panels of cedar. Mentioned he means these two ceilings, one above the other, the beautiful paneled ceiling and the lower visible one. And so this word, uh, is related to the word for canopy, which implies that the Behemekdash became a Shem's chuppah under which he was wed to the Jewish people. So this whole, another idea of, you know, this isn't just this religious building. It's this, it's there for this whole deep, deep loving relationship between Hashem and his people. Did you just say hoopa? Hoopa, yep. Good night. <laughs> I, I just don't, you know, it's just so, so rich when you think about Everything that Hashem is allowing us to walk into for the Torah portion this week. You know, it just can't be said enough. You know, even Rabbi Griffin has been saying it on the Aliyah Day. You know, it's just kind of like we're talking about the Mishkan here. Like the image of Hashem being manifest. It's just kind of like, where do you even start and like not end with that? <laughs> Man. Yeah, I just... It I know it's it's such a deep concept. There's so many hidden beautiful things, and you know, again, that's why you need to consult uh, consult like the sages, Chazal, the Oral Torah, the rabbis, because if you're just reading this in the plain text, you know, you like a lot of people would just be kind of bored and drained, like, oh, here you're just building this building, you know. Right. But once you realize the depth and the beauty that that is hidden within there, within the building, within the structure, it's just incredible, and it could easily become you know, the most interesting portion of the Torah. Wow. Rukashim. So, you know, you, you mentioned the, the Mikdash and uh, the Mishkan. There's these two. Uh, there's like the temple, then there's the, the tabernacle, you know. Right. There's also these two uh, kinds of Sadakim. It's from uh, Rabbi Nakam Mendel of uh, Pramashlan. May his memory be for a blessing. Amen. It says, on one hand, there is a Sadiq who is the same on the outside as on the inside. When you look at him, you know he is a Sadiq. On the other hand, there is a Sadiq whose righteousness is hidden. To the casual observer, this Sadiq is nothing special, a regular person. Which way is preferable? The Psuk states, you shall make curtains for a tent over the Mishkan, Shemot 26.7. This teaches us that a Sadiq should try to cover himself, for it instructs us to make a curtain to cover our inner Mishkan, our inner holiness. Well, that is definitely Mashiach ben Yosef, for sure. Yes, there's nothing that, there's nothing about him that would be drawn to him. You know, right. the, the verse from Isaiah. You know that he didn't have this beauty. It was just kind of almost like this ordinary person. He was concealed. It was Mashiach ben Yosef, right? The concealed Messiah. Right. So you know so, where I'm thinking. What I'm thinking is, this is why the Transfiguration account is so beautiful, is because that's the one time, at least, that we have documented that he uh, revealed himself. Mm -hmm. And it couldn't have been with everybody. It was only with his inner circle. 
You know, his very, very closest of his Talmudim. You know, and it wasn't all 12. It was just three of them. And when he did this, it was such a revelation that if you were a normal person, you would not be able to like walk away from that again. You know, like the uh, the idea of those who ascended into Pardes, you know, Akher and Akiva and uh, I forget the other person. And one of them died. The other was like a heretic forever. And the other one came back totally fine. And, uh, you know, when it came to the transfiguration of Mashiach, it was like, hey, Kepha was all like, let's make Sukkot. You know, for him, it became the Olam Haba. I don't know what happened to the other people. They were probably passed out. (laughs) But uh, it's just kind of one of those things where, if we really had the open concealment or the open revealing of what's concealed with Mashiach, then we couldn't handle that. Yes. So I love that you bring that up about hiding our, our inner holiness, you know? Yeah. And it's just, it's interesting that you bring out, you pull out and stress that concept because the two people who was with him, were those of hiddenness. Oh, yes. Right? Yes. Who, who was with him? That's the Moshe and Eliyahu. Mm. Moshe and Eliyahu. Moshe, who was buried in a mountain. No one knows where his body is. Completely hidden. You know, and then Eliyahu was, you know, taken up in the chariot. The whirlwind. The chariot of Hashem. Right. And you know, it's just interesting because it's it's almost like he's hinting what's going to become of him. He's like, I'm, I'm going to be disappearing for a while. But just Ooh. like Moshe and Eliyahu, it's for a reason. And I'm not just I'm just I'm not going to die like an ordinary man, if you will. Oh, I'm going to be elevated to the next level so that I can come back down here and elevate us and raise us off from the dead. OK, flipping my visor up. Mike Tyson staring you right in the face. You are seeming to insinuate that it wasn't the crucifixion, per se, that killed Mashiach. It was something else. Because you realize his death as an ordinary man would not come through him being wounded and all that, basically. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds very crazy, but... The the fact is, in the way that he dies, it says that he expired. I.e., he allowed his, his soul to depart from his body. The same way that Yaakov died. Yaakov is the only one of the patriarchs that we, that at least so far that I've seen, who actually died the same uh, technical uh language as far as the wording goes they have the same language used for their death it says they gave up the ghost i.e they willingly died you know and it was just kind of like when you look at mashiach should have died from the piercings and the suffocation from the whipping from being up all night from not eating all day he was fasting you know, not on purpose, but, you know, well, maybe he was because technically if you're a firstborn and he is a firstborn, you fast on uh, the 14th of Nissan. Mm-hmm. So 
Wow, I did not realize that was connection. But anyway, so I'm just kind of looking at that because that that takes the death on the stake to a whole new level. Because when you look at really what uh, the the letter to the people in Philippi from the distinguished gentleman, Shaul, he writes that Mashiach died the death of a slave and even death on a crucifixion stake. You know, and it's just kind of like, it wasn't per se the crucifixion that killed him as much as it was as his submission to Hashem in such a way that it would be a slave, it would be a horrible death, you know, as far as all the external factors. But yet, it's the fact that he willingly gave up his spirit for us. Because he says, no man takes my life, I willingly lay it down. So... That's kind of a, a very, a very, very deep thing. That's why I flipped up my visor and I'm looking at you like that. Because uh, <laughs> I'm man, like, wow, dude, that's what I, you just said. <laughs> I love that you brought that down because, you know, in, in leaking this also, again, further to like our, our Torah and half Torah, what, what happened as far as in the temple goes when he died, if you will, his, he expired, I should say. Right. What happened to the uh, parochet? It tore top to bottom. <laughs> it tore top to bottom, you know, and it, it's just amazing because you know we re- we read the uh, Vier and the in this and the Behemikdash, the, the the first temple, Shlomo's temple. Can that it is that's where the Aaron sits, the the uh, the Torah sits, right? But that's also it's also the name used for the partition between the Kodesh and the Kodesh. Oh. Uh, Kodesh. oh. So it's also used for the Parochet. So literally you have, uh, you have Dalit, Vav, Yud, Resh, Devir, which is related to word. Oh. And then you could further, you could put the Yud at the end, you know, the same letters and you have Devri, Dev like my word. Wow. Okay. Okay. So we mentioned the word becoming flesh, right? Yes. <laughs> why didn't do that? Or the the, the parochet becoming flesh, if you will. Why? <laughs> to act as our atonement, you know. He had to be parted for us to atone yes. for us. That's how we were saved. The Red Sea that was parted. <laughs> right. Salvation comes comes from that. From the idea of, of splitting open and creating a path mm. that we may walk through. Like you see that in the uh, the cover of the parts. Yes. Yep. That's it. There's the, the promise to, to Abraham. He was saying, hey, through the sacrificial service, you, your people will have this, this atonement for their sins. And they'll be saved and they won't be eliminated. And what 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 they do? They split the animals apart and they walked through the divide. They walk through that open space. Alrighty then. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know where we were before uh, warping off into that, but... Uh... <laughs> oh, yeah, we we're, were just talking about the section of the uh, the parochet. It's called the uh, Devere. Man. The Devere. Uh, and we kind of get into uh, the concluding concluding verses. Um, there's this kind of warning for Shlomo um, 
in uh, 6 through 11 through 13. And then Hashem, in, in 6, 13, Hashem says, I will dwell in the midst of B'nai Israel and not forsake my people Israel. Mm. So as you have Hashem warning Shlomo through the prophet, it was brought through the prophet uh, Ahiyah Shloni, that his enduring presence in the elaborate dwelling place of Shlomo had built was not automatically guaranteed, but rather the presence of Shekinah among B'nai Israel was contingent upon their observance of the Torah. Oh, um, you can't you can't take advantage of of grace and and the closeness of Hashem. You know we have to strive for that. And so you have this verse. The Hathor Midrash goes on to say that the, the verse emphasizes that the Shekinah is to rest in their midst, meaning in the hearts of Bnei Israel. If their hearts were not fit to receive the Shekinah, it would leave the Beit Hamikdash altogether. Okay. Wow. And so it, it's kind of interesting because there is um, just a lot of parallels, or I guess you could say contrasting between the Beha Mikdash and the Mishkan. And if you look at the Mishkan, Mishkan's more of like this, it's this labor of love. Whereas in the Be'amichah, you have in the temple, Shlomo's temple, it mentions that he levies attacks against them. You know, so it's almost like this forced act. Right. So and like so, forcing someone to love you, basically? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like this idea that it was not this labor of love anymore. You know, um, in, in the, the, the Mishkan, the desert, you have the tabernacle. You It was like this element of Nidavut uh, Halev was there, this willingness and open-heartedness of love that came forth building the tabernacle, and therefore there's this abundance that happened through that. Mm. And so it's just it's just interesting. And it's like, why, why, what is the cause? We have to ask ourselves, what is the cause between these differences? And I think you could you could find it you could find the cause derives from this the fundamental difference derives from the approach of the builders. The approach of Moshe versus the approach of Shlomo. Oh. With Shlomo, nice. it's mentioned. What's that? I said, that's a nice little setup here to, to compare this. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's kind of like um, what Mashiach says, out of the heart comes things. Oh. And so look at someone's motive. Someone's motive is going to determine the quality that's being produced, whether it's words or whether it's actions, whether it's thoughts. And so this is why we have to focus so much on character development and refining ourselves and constantly making a habit of making the right choices. You know, because it's this motive that's going to create the setup. And so it really lies in the approach of these two people, and they had these two different characteristics. Mo Moshe, his overwhelming... Well, we'll go with the Shlomo first. Okay. It mentions, since we're in the half tour, it mentions that his characteristic was wisdom. It was Chachma. Chokhma, Sika. And, but Moshe, it's this entirely different concept. And if you look at everything leading up to it, it's all about Kavod. It says, you know, immediately prior to the commandment, God gives the Moshe to build a tabernacle. You read, Layashkan Kavod Hashim al Hasarnai. It was, and the kavod, the glory of the Lord, abode upon Mount Sinai. 
And then it and then goes on to talk about Umare Kavod Hashem Ka'esh or Kelet Arosh Har. And the appearance of the Kavod of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain. And then Vayavo Moshe Batok Anan. And Moshe entered into the midst of the cloud. And so it's this idea of Shlomo, his approach was with Chokhmah, it was with this wisdom. Whereas Moshe had this approach of Kavod, of this glory. And so this is really what determined the quality of these two buildings and why the Mishkan was such a more uh, deeper endeavor and something that was much more closer to where it's referred to literally as not just a house of God, but the home of God. And we know there's a big difference between a home and a house. Yes. <laughs> Huge difference. You know, it, it's like through entering the Mishkan, like a, a Jew learned that God himself had become the home of man's spirit. And you read this in Atelim 90, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place. Mm-hmm. And so it's just interesting because you kind of concept, what is this concept of Kavod? It's often translated as glory or an honor, but the, is, these words don't really quite touch on it. And so really what it is, it's the sense of this divine grandeur from which all the norms of human moral conduct and ethical behavior derive from. So everything we have, this is like the source and worth uh, and experience of all of existence. It's this idea of, of God's ineffable dignity that that brings man, when we recognize this, when we recognize the dignity and the glory of Hashem, that it gives us our own feeling of worthiness and respect. Wow. So this is kind of the idea of Kavod. It says the idea of dignity, the idea of seeing Hashem as master and ruler over everything. And because we recognize the perfection of our creator and the value and the, the, the just um, awesomeness of our God, we it goes in and we see ourselves as worthy creations. Not like not like the King of Tyre, who thought he was God. Mm. But that we see our own value because we know our Creator is perfect. <laughs> and so these are the two different aspects that really sets the difference between the the how uh, the Mishkan function and how the Beha Mikdash function. Wow. And so, uh, it's just really interesting because if you look at the word for kavod, you know, you have you have this idea. You say, okay, well, don't you need wisdom? Yes, wisdom is important. But if you look at kavod, if you look at skamatra, it's 32. 32, 32 paths of wisdom. Yes, 32 paths of wisdom, which are the, the, the 10 sephirot and the 22 letters. And so kavod actually incorporates the idea of wisdom, but it's it's not the primary thing. <laughs> the dignity and this respect, this awe of creator, uh, this just acting as a good person, this is the primary thing. And wisdom is the secondary thing. That's not to diminish wisdom, but kavod has any elements of wisdom. But what's the difference? The main difference is that, you know, you have chachma is just like, chachma is just the idea of wisdom for the sake of wisdom. But chavod, it's hinting at the idea of wisdom, but in what way? 
in the way that all the parts, all those 22 letters, all the 10 stuff wrote are all coming together and doing their own part in order to make for the completion of wisdom. So it's allowing all creation to have this part, all creations to be, be raised up and elevated, all their skills. You think about in respect to people, it's like allowing people's talents to flourish, teaching people, allowing them to grow, allowing them to develop their own skills, their own little light of Torah that they shine off the world. And allowing us all to come together in, in shalom and harmony and unity and and reflect that that glory to the world. That is true wisdom. It's not about one man, Shlomo, having it like Shlomo, one man having the whole whole deal to himself, having all his wisdom. It's about allowing every piece of the puzzle to come together and flourish and shine their own own light in order to to build this dwelling place for a shim. Say to the law. <laughs> wow. Do you, I didn't know you could pick up skyscrapers and throw them. That's that's new. I didn't see that before. I found a suit. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, it looks like you've been working out. So, Rukashim. <laughs> but, you know, and just kind of stress this idea about value. Because um, we think about Kavod, we think about all this majesty. And we go into like kind of the material realms, like we're talking about like the fruits and the plants and how they are gold. You know, we look at something that like we think of Kavod, we think of these gold, we think of these precious gems, we think of money and, and nice materialistic things. But that that might be a, a fragment of it, but that's not the essence. That's not the heart. It's kind of like the fruit in Shlomo's temple outside or the tree, the tree of life outside is the sapphire stone. But. Its essence was the tree of high. Its essence was life. And so if you look at Kavod, I think there's no no better description of what Kavod and glory and honor is than when Moshe asked Hashem. Because Hashem tells us. And what is he what is his response? His response says it's Moshe says, Show me your glory. Show me your Kavod. And Hashem's response he rattles off what we know today as the 13 attributes of mercy. <laughs> which is beautiful because you think this is this is the glory of Hashem. This is the honor of Hashem. It's these attributes. And furthermore, you know, you have you look at the idea of chokhmah, wisdom, this comes from within a man. And he could gain it just by sitting and, and studying, but the idea of kavod, this idea of glory. It's almost like this envelops a man like a cloud. It completely envelops him, and a man has to earn it. Like Moshe climbing up to reach the Torah. You have to earn it. You have to pursue it. And it's just interesting because it brings a whole new light. When you understand kavod, glory, as being mercy, you can understand Mashiach's words. When he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Mm, mm, mm. You know, and you look in this whole idea of the glory relating to the, the temple. This is where the, t the the sacrifices would have taken place, right? That's and so right. he's adding these two ideas, these two ideas that relate to the the, the tabernacle or the Mikdash or what have you. But what is he saying? He's saying, "I I desire I desire mercy, 
like the 13 attributes of mercy. He desires the glory of Hashem to be revealed into the world. And he desires us to, to walk as Hashem walked in these attributes. Man. So. Well, tag. Go for it. The uh, first use of Kavod is in Mishle 27.3, talking about a heavy stone. And when you do Ivrit, the descriptive term is put after the, uh, the item that's mentioned. So, remember we talked about a long time ago that uh, the Shekinah of Hashem is Memtet. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> in Mishle 27.3, it says, Kavod Evin. And when, oh my goodness. And it also says, Venetel. So, I'm just going to look at those three words for a second. So, the Kavod is described as the Evin, which is the stone, i.e. the stone that the builders rejected i.e. the one who is the father and who is the son, because remember, Evan has father and son. Okay, and this is Yosef. You know, the whole thing about Yosef is the stone of Yisrael kind of thing. So going back to Parsha Vayaki, but we're not. Just go to that commentary and check that out. But not only does it say that, it goes right into the next word, Vednatel, which is supposed to mean sand. But if you permute those letters uh it becomes oh never mind don't don't do that <laughs> i was i was thinking of uh tavel but there is no bet there so it was going to be really crazy because it was going to say the glory stone that mikvah's us which uh that would have been awesome but it doesn't say that so ixnay all that my bad everybody false alarm but uh back to the stone and the glory here where I was going originally before I saw that first use is that Kavod can be spelled with three letters and it's Kavod. And it that gematria of those three letters, Kuf, Vet, Dalit, is 26, which is obviously Hashem. And the reason why I was thinking about the 26 is because the 13 attributes, which are the glory of Hashem, and then Hashem himself, which is 26, when you put um, the 13 and the 26 together, I'm going to calculate that real quick. I believe that is 62, which is one of the divine names of Hashem. Wow. But go back from that. And just look at the 13 and the 13 to make the 26. So the love of Hashem or the oneness of Hashem with his 13 attributes. Okay, so pick either one of those and you get 26. And then we're talking about the 32 because you can also add a Vav into the word Kavad and it becomes Kavod. And Kavod is 32. And so what I'm looking at now is 26 plus 6 being the 32. 
And in Yochanan chapter 17, Mashiach Yeshua says that, and this is eternal life, that we may know Hashem and his Mashiach, which would mean the 26 and the Vav, because the Vav represents the Son of God. Okay, and the Son of God we know is Melech Israel. So Hashem and his Mashiach is also included in the 32 paths of wisdom. Just want to share that. Yeah. Beautiful. You're shooting uh, straight from your, your heart test now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Baruch Shemo Hashem. Oh, man. I just wanted to touch on this concept that you, you laid down earlier. You know, talking about Kavod and then also talking about, you mentioned Yaakov paralleling Yeshua as far as how they expired, if you will. Kin. Right? Because Yaakov's image was engraved under the throne of oh. glory. So, there is a, uh, a Midrash that we cited before, the Skita Rabbatai uh, 36, that talks about this under the throne, okay, where Yaakov is imprinted. Hmm. The image of Yaakov, I should say. But it's mentioned about the suffering of Mashiach. I'm just going to read this real quick. It mentions, at the time of uh, Mashiach's creation, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will tell him in detail what will befall him. There are souls that have been put away under thee, under the, my throne. And it is their sins which will bend thee down under yoke of iron and make thee like a calf whose eyes grow dim with suffering. And will choke thy spirit as with a yoke. Because of the sins of these souls, your tongue will cleave to the roof of your mouth. Are you willing to endure such things? The Mashiach will ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Will my suffering last many years? HaKadosh Baruch Hu replied, Upon my life and the life of my head, it is a period of seven years which I have decreed for you. But if thy soul is sad at the prospect of your suffering, I shall at this moment banish these sinful souls. The Mashiach will say, Master of the universe, with joy in my soul, and gladness in my heart, I take the suffering upon myself, provided that not one person in Israel perish, and that not only those who are alive be saved in my days, but that also those who are dead, who died from the days of Adam up to the time of redemption, that not only these be saved in my days, but also those who died as abortions, that not only these be saved in my days, but also those who you thought to create, but did not create. Such are the things I desire. For these I am ready to take upon myself whatever you decree. At these words, will point for the Mashiach, the four creatures who will carry the Mashiach's throne of glory. Wow. And then it, it mentions later in Mesquita uh, 37 that Rabbi Shimon ben Pazi taught that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will lift the Mashiach up to the heaven of heavens and will cloak him in something of the splendor of his own glory as protection against the nations of the earth. <laughs> and I just want to kind of point out this whole idea of glory, this whole idea of like under the throne of Hashem, this whole idea of glory is related to this idea of suffering. Mm. And you also see that because another term that you mentioned about kavod can also mean heavy. Right. And this is used when Moshe is talking to Hashem 
at the, the burning bush, and he's mentioned that he's heavy of tongue. The word that's used there is kavod. He's heavy of tongue. Wow. But, you know, that, that, that experience of the burning bush parallels the commandments given at Sinai. If you look closely and read the text, the, what's said at the burning bush parallels the commandments at Sinai, and him saying he's heavy of tongue parallels, uh, parallels like, uh, the commandment of Chavud Am Ve'im, the honoring fathers, honoring one's father and mother. And so, what once was an object of heaviness, like it says in in this midrash, he's going to put an iron yoke around the Mashiach and it's going to weigh him down. His eyes will grow dim. Right. This uh, this once was an object of heaviness, but now it is going to turn into glory. It's going to bring about glory towards who? The father and the mother. Who is the mother? Mother is Israel, the nation. And so this object of heaviness becomes a glory for the father, father in heaven, for the nation of Israel as a whole. Man. (laughs) Good night. So, and, you know, just to tag on the whole idea, we talked about, you know, what revealed to me your, your kavod, what is, what is your glory? Right. Let me see your glory. He mentions objects of 13 attributes of mercy, which all have to do, or at least the majority, have to do with forgiveness and atonement of sins. Come on. Come on. That is. Come on. And so you think about the difference between the Beha Mikdash, you know, which was destroyed, the first temple. Unfortunately, but you think about the difference between that and the tabernacle, which was just hidden away, which will be revealed alongside with the third temple and the time to come, maybe sooner or days. Amen. But the difference was they put forth, Moshe built it upon the concept of Kavod, the concept of this glory, upon this suffering, right? He saw the Mishkan not as. Um, something that they ought to have, like Shlomo did, because he was honoring his father, right? But he saw it saw it as a necessity to atone for the sin of Israel, and it's just very interesting because if you if you look at the word that a lot of it says to make, if you go into where he's always saying and make this and make this and make this, it's interesting because you look at the words. And they shall make it's the um Vayasu? Yes. So So basically uh what make is... uh Vayasita. There's a lot of times it's trying to Vayasita. Okay. And okay. If you look, look at that, you could rearrange the words and you get Yeshua and the Tav. Oh that's salvation, by the way, Yeshuat. Yes, Yeshua, <laughs> salvation, you know, and so, oh, and then, so, wow. you have this object of salvation hidden in there, and you shall make, why are you making it? It's for salvation, oh. and what is it alluding to? It's alluding to the, the one who will bring salvation, Yeshua, Tav, Tav, the final letter of the alphabet, hinting at the finalization, the completion, the 22 letters which completes the Torah, I've come to rightly interpret the Torah, to fulfill it. And so this is ultimately what made the Mishkan so much more special 
than the uh, Beit HaMikdash and why it will be raised again in the last day. And we shall partake of it just like the Afi Komen. Because the Afi Komen was broken, broken down, I guess, and wrapped up and stored away. And the children have to go find it. And they bring it back. And it's revealed. And we partake of it. Amen. So the Mishkan is like that piece of Afi Komen that we break off, we wrap it up, and we hide it. Only to be revealed at a later time. Alright. Yes. So, practical takeaways, shall we? <laughs> we shall, we shall. <laughs> I got two, so whenever you're ready, I'll let those go. Okay, go for it. Okay, so, well, first of all, I love the fact that we talked about our approach to what we're building. And we are living stones built up into the spiritual temple of Hashem. And I just love thinking about that. And it really just puts us in our place whenever we decide that, or should we decide, to try to get a little cray-cray and think that we're all that. Um, just remember, we're meant to rock it, not be a rocket. Because, you know, rockets go and then they like fizzle out. But yeah, that's not, <laughs> not where I was going. But uh, yeah, so when it comes to that, I just want to touch on the fact that this is why the Torah of Mashiach is so important. Because, you know, Shaul briefly mentions that to the congregation in, in Corinth, that he says, I am never without uh, the Torah of Mashiach. And he really says, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, basically, I don't violate Hashem's Torah, and I'm never without the Torah of Mashiach. So he's he's basically saying that there is there's the Torah that is the letter of the Torah, the letter of the law. I follow that, and the Torah, the spirit of the law. I follow that. When we talk about the Torah, the spirit, we're talking about the Torah of Mashiach. Why am I saying that? Is because this is getting down to what is actually moving you. What's flowing out of the wellspring of your being? What's flowing from the source of what's causing you to make whatever decision we're making? Because that's where it really counts. Because G Shekel is my source on this. This is Gedai from Bet Yisrael all the way over in India, who I pray to Hashem that he is a Lapid. Because he sources out a lot of things and it's beautiful. So he says this in Parsha Yitro, his commentary. He says, the new Torah that is spoken about in the Midrash is the Torah of Mashiach. By the way, Messiah text does mention that there is something in Judaism called new Torah. And it's basically the insights that Yeshua, or it doesn't say Yeshua, but we know it is. It says Mashiach will come and teach on the deeper meanings of the Torah. That's called new Torah. So this is why uh, Matit Yahu 5 through 8 is such a brilliant passage because that is elements of new Torah. Anyway, so the new Torah, Torah Mashiach, Torah the Spirit, okay, that's what we're talking about, says this is actually a more strict Torah than that of Moshe because while it bids us to obey the letter of the law, we must go beyond higher 
and deeper into the very root of our physical actions, into our thoughts, intentions, and motives. So, there's this whole idea, like, for example, just to give you one little thing, Matthew 5.21 says that, um, you know, you have heard it said to the ancients, you shall not murder. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be liable to the judgment, i.e. that you're a murderer the moment you become filled with hatred towards your brother. So if you have that going on, you've you've already violated the Torah. And it's just like, but I haven't murdered anybody. Uh, yeah, you have, because you're you're putting yourself on that path. So uh, when we look at the approach to building the temple of Hashem, we want to make sure it is a house that is a home. Because all of us have to have a dwelling place. And our dwelling place is Hashem. And we should be manifesting Him on this earth. One of the letters that Yochanan writes says that no one has seen Hashem, but if we love one another, then Hashem is made manifest. And so that's what that's one element that I wanted to share. And the other thing I wanted to do is just say that back to our in the merit of David, uh, Tehillim 24, 6 or 24, 7, Slika, it says that uh, in the Midrash Tehillim, Shlomo sought to bring the the ark into the temple and the doors of the Holy of Holies would not open and remained miraculously shut. So, uh, yeah. And then it says Shlomo recited 24 prayers, but was not answered. Only when Shlomo prayed that the doors be opened in the merit, which is Bizkut, David, did they open. That is Rashi, Radak, and Shabbat 30a, and Shemot Rabbah 8.1. So the whole verse about lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, you ancient doors, so the glorious king may enter. That's about Melek David. So um, I just wanted to say that what what are what are our intentions? What's causing us to do the things that we're doing? Let's pay attention to that. And whose merit are we operating in? Bezrat Hashem, it is the merit of Messiah Yeshua, because He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and He is the one through whom. We cross over from death and into life. Your turn. Man, I love that. Love it so much. About our approach and uh, just everything. Who's merit? I want to tag on that that story. All right. About Shlomo opening it. Open those gates. Open them. <laughs> it says, um, Thus did Shlomo ask the temple gates to open for Chochmah is not enough. Because he, he came in kind of his with his wisdom, he tried to open it, but it wouldn't open for him. Instead, he pleads to open them up. Um, let the king of Kavod, king of glory, come in. And who is this king of glory? 
It is King Shlomo. Is it King Shlomo, that royal personage, the wise of all human beings? And it says, no, it's not. For there is only one king of Kavod. Hashem Savot, who Melech HaKavod Salah. The Lord of hosts, he is the king of Kavod Salah. And so, mentioned in the merit of David, but also talks about, you know, Hashem is this, this king of glory. And so you got a, a beautiful uh, connection there. Wow. You know, and a yes, a yes to the question. Um, <laughs> so who's, who's merit? Yes. Who's, oh, wow. That's the divine Mashiach. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> But it's it's just kind of interesting because we mentioned we mentioned before just the whole idea of Shlomo. He represents Chokhmah in the sense of it's it's his wisdom and building the Mikdash was his project, and you know it's like he it was almost forced upon the people, oh. and it's like this idea of of wisdom. It's a very amazing trait. Yes, I'm not trying to talk about about Shlomo in any King Shlomo very righteous man but mm-hmm. just, just to emphasize these concepts you know it was like this very exclusive idea idea and when he tried to open the doors of the house of god with that exclusive um attribute of wisdom they remained shut for him wow it's like measure for measure you know exclusion you're excluded but what did he approach it with he provoked it with kavod we mentioned it's like that 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 idea of understanding the brilliance of a shim, understanding his character, his attributes, and it's this idea of, of suffering for for the sake of, of his name being known in the world, for the sake of his honor being recognized, for the sake of the honor of Israel being recognized, and just walking as he walked. Once he came in with this attribute of kavod this approach of kavod, this approach of glory and self, self-dignity based on the dignity and reverence of the king of kings, that's when the doors opened up. Because it's, it's only, only kavod, only this, this idea of, of glory and dignity and, and mercy can break out of its narrow confines to cover the whole universe like this giant, this giant benevolent cloud of glory. You know, and so it's this whole idea of of what, like you said, like what is was our approach? Mm. You know, are are we allowing every, everybody's light to shine and allowing us all come together and in, in unity and shalom and recognizing each other's talents for what it is and lifting each other up, or are we trying to be like almost like this this exclusive one man show and where it's all about our our arrogance, like, like the king of Tyre. You know, and so it's just about. Uh, we mentioned last Torah portion, uh, last half Torah. Um, Ram calls this idea in the passage just that we should set aside times to reflect on ourselves and really analyze not just our actions, but our motives and our very world view. What is what is our, our view of the world? What is our view of ourselves? What is our view of other people? Because it's really that that's going to determine all your actions, all your habits, and the impact you're going to have on this world. And so, I guess, you know, just, just to tag on all the awesome practical t- takeaways you got is the idea of setting aside time to just really reflect and 
and think about our worldview, think about um, our approach to life and how, how we view Hashem, how we view others, how we view ourselves, and really make sure we're right in that. You know, make sure we're, we're making the glory of Hashem, this whole idea of kavod, this whole idea of, of dignity, we're making sure that's primary in our life. And this whole idea of wisdom and intellect and knowledge, it's important, but it's nothing, and it's even detrimental without understanding the value of God, ourselves, and other people. Mm. And it's just, there's like a million things that's been wrong with the world because, you know, we were super uh, technology savvy, but we had no value of, of human life. Mm. And so, I guess, practical takeaways, set a time, time to reflect and get our priorities right. Understanding that value comes before uh, this whole honor uh, honor and uh, uh, prestige and knowledge and wisdom. So, that'll be uh, my practical takeaway there. Wow. Well, I was just listening to all of <laughs> all of your connections and insights, and it was like watching a heavyweight boxing match. <laughs> it's just like, oh my word. Did you just see that move? <sighs> well, Hashem, I cry out to you on behalf of myself, Hasis, and Cole Yisrael. Please help us to internalize and manifest the words of your Torah and especially all of the gleanings that you downloaded to us in this podcast. Todah Rabbah for moving us into such beautiful parashot that are about bringing Hashemayim together and be manifest in one with Ha'aretz. Bizkut Mashiach Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Well... On that note, what do we know? What do we know? Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Zor kol haolamim Zadik bekol hadorot Ha'el ha'neeman ha'omer ve'oseh hamdaber Um kayem shekol dabarav emet vazedek Ne'eman atahu Adonai Eloheinu Ve'ne'emanim devareka Vedavar echad mid vareka akor lo yashuv recham ki el melek neeman verakaman ata baruk ata adonai hael haneeman bekol debrav biskut mashiach yeshua amen amen chasis roshodesh tov to you chavivi may this month be inaugurated upon you for good for you and your entire household and thank you so much for sharing your insights with us tonight. Amen. You as well. You know, thank you so much for your insights and uh, just your energy and just the the value you see in people is inspiring. You know, Baruch Shemo. So I appreciate your character and your and your knowledge, your kavod, and your uh, chokma. <laughs> Baruch Hashem. <laughs> well, to everyone else. Rosh Hodesh Tov to you, and may this month be inaugurated up on you for good. 
Todah Rabah for joining myself and Hasis Baz on this week's Haftarah Get You Some. So this is Shomer Man and Hasis Baz signing out. Shalom. Shalom.